Hey, I'm Ramya, and this is the Charlotte Storytellers Podcast. We're a storytelling group that meets every week in Charlotte, North Carolina, to play silly improv games and workshop stories on a theme. Today's story is brought to you by Pepsi. Uh, wasn't this set up in a closet? It used to be. <laughs> it's no longer, <laughs> obviously, in a closet. Yeah. I no longer live in that place. <laughs> I'm really excited to be here. Yay, I'm so. really excited to have you here. Thank and you. I'm really excited that you found Storytellers. <laughs> Me too. Totally. Changed my life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this should, that's what I want our, like, you know, slogan to be. Like, Charlotte Storytellers changes people's lives. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, tell me a little bit about your relationship with storytelling in general. Okay. Um, I fell in love with reading and writing uh, at about 10 years old. I wrote my first poem when I was 11. <laughs> <laughs> Do you and remember what it was about? I have no idea. It was probably <laughs> something really sappy about love or something Aww. silly. But I wrote my first book at 12 years old, which I remember very distinctly. <laughs> I was obsessed. I think I'm still obsessed with writing and reading. So. That's amazing. Yes. I haven't done uh, much with it until I start writing my book and found Storytellers. Amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. How did you find Storytellers and what motivated you to tell your first story? I found storytellers through meetup uh, -huh. uh because jeremiah <laughs> was very uh incessant about me finding friends <laughs> so um that is how i found storytellers what made me want to tell my first story was actually this podcast your story um about being um on the trip and I am a grown ass woman. That story <laughs> really made me want to tell my first story. Oh, wow. It was weird because uh, my very first meeting, the theme was in black and white. Uh -huh. I had no idea what to expect. And it was all these amazing stories. Um, and I was a little uncomfortable to tell the story that I'm going to tell today <laughs> in the, <laughs> in the group. Um, but your your story kind of gave me the courage to put something on paper and, oh, wow. and say it. So that's, yeah. so that's amazing. So thank you. No, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> You're finding the podcast and finding the group. That yeah. was back when the podcast was still in the closet. Yes. <laughs> the podcast for all our dear, lovely readers is no longer listeners, I guess, not readers. Yeah. <laughs> for all our listeners, the podcast is no longer in the closet. So <laughs> yeah, much has changed in the world of Charlotte Storytellers. Yeah, and that, that episode was at a museum, right, or something like that? Yeah, that one was actually our first ever live podcast episode. Uh, yes. We had it in front of this art show. Um, it was a photography exhibit, and people listened to the story and then yes. looked at the exhibit and kind of talked about it. This is so meta. We're talking about another episode of the podcast on the <laughs> podcast. Well, that's what got me here. So <laughs> Amazing. What is yeah. your story today about? Uh, well, it is about the time that I was called a reverse racist. <laughs> <laughs> On June 15th, 2015, I woke up excited about having graduated college and getting my job in the first month of searching. My husband, Jeremiah, gets up and gives me a pep talk. Please, please try and make some friends. 
I don't care if you like being alone. I'm tired of you being alone. (laughs) So I have a hard time making friends because, well, once you're my friend, you're family. And that's no small thing. But nonetheless, he's right. So I agree to at least try. So I get to this fancy law firm and everything is a mess because I'm a part of a brand new department with a new manager and most of my coworkers are also new. This is where I meet Jonathan. So Jonathan is a white male who um, self-identifies as pagan. And I, for those of you who don't know, (laughs) am a black girl who at the time self-identified as Christian And although we were so different, we immediately started to bond because of mutual respect. We also kind of got weirdly close to our manager, Amanda. He more so than I, but we were still a pretty good trio. So I felt really, really excited because I put myself out there to be friends with a group of people who were so different from me and it turned out so well. So fast forward to our annual Christmas party. I get to this bar and as soon as I walk in, I am immediately greeted with smiling faces and Jonathan introduces me to the owner of the bar who apparently already knows who I am. And um, she hands me this big blue motherfucker, which is a drink. And sends me on my merry way. And the party is going absolutely amazing. So I step outside with one of my coworkers and we're talking about dogs because, I mean, who doesn't love dogs except for Ramya? (laughs) (laughs) And Malia, who is also a part of my group of friends, is having a conversation of her own in the distance. And we talk for a while, but Malia progressively gets louder and louder, and you can tell that she's bothered by something. So we go over to her, and I can't really tell you how the conversation got to where it did, but she blurts out. And that's why I was telling Jonathan that you're not a reverse racist. I'm I'm shocked and I'm looking for words to say and I hear and we were at work and and wait what you had a conversation about me being a reverse racist at work she turns red And you can tell by the look on her face that she immediately regrets telling me. And as she's trying to explain herself, I have this weird out-of-body experience. And every moment that I was ever discriminated against or even treated with microaggressions because of my race came rushing back to me like the opening of floodgates. And all I could say was, I would not apologize for being black. I rush into the bar and everyone is 
completely wasted and people are crying and kissing. So I go to the bathroom to try and calm myself down and they all come rushing in after me. And the more and more they talk, all I could say is I will not apologize for being black. In that moment, all I could think was fuck being stereotyped as the angry black woman. I would not apologize for being black. And the more they talked, the louder I got because I'm pissed and hurt. I mean, these were a group of people that I called my friends, but most importantly, Jonathan had said this about me. I, I couldn't understand why. Well, Jonathan eventually apologizes and I try and forgive him and the night just gets progressively crazier because someone breaks their leg and it's more important for them to get the help they need. So I put all of my feelings on the back burner, but once she's taken care of, I immediately start to feel uncomfortable again. But I go in on Sunday because I'm thinking the only way to learn from this is to turn it into a positive situation. So I put together all this information to submit a proposal for a diversity committee. And I mean, I have bullet points and statistics and strategies. And by the end, I am feeling so confident because I know that we can turn this into a positive now. So I set up a meeting with my manager, Amanda, for the following Monday, but I very quickly learned that she has already had a conversation with Jonathan and admitted in that conversation that she thought that I was overly emotional and overreacting. I felt stupid, like I should have known and I didn't really know what to do, so I canceled the meeting and I did nothing. I went from jovial and talkative to silent and distant. And before I could even get my thoughts together, I'm pulled in a meeting with Amanda and upper management wanting to know why I changed. So I tell them everything, even about Amanda and her mismanagement because she had told personal information to justify why she thought I was overly emotional and overreacting. And she lies right to my face. Like me, Pepsi. I don't have receipts. <laughs> and I have proof, but she still lies. And management, they did absolutely nothing. But they still want to know what they can do to rectify the situation. So I go through my idea about the diversity committee and they'll tell me they'll get back to me. They never get back to me. But Amanda, she, she tried to turn it on me. It was like she made it her mission to make me out to that angry black woman that we're also used to seeing as if that justified anything she did.
looking back, I wish I would have asked her why. Why are you so uncomfortable with me that you feel the need to reduce me to a stereotype? I tried to justify and rationalize this story to make it better. Hell, <laughs> to make myself feel better. And I so desperately want to say that situations like this start and end here. But the truth is, they don't. And well, a lot about my life really does come down to black and white. Oh my God. <laughs> Your story is so, you're such an amazing storyteller. Thank you. Like I was immediately transported back to, it was kind of meta because this is the story that you did at the last showcase. Yes. I was transported at the same time to you, like where you are in the story and what you're describing. And the yes. first time, the first meeting where you tell the story and the showcase. Yes. And I'm sitting right here <laughs> on this couch. Yes. So I was like in four places at once. Yes. Your story. And it changes a little bit every time I tell it. <laughs> yeah, it was a little more, I felt like this was more of a fireside chat in this yes. rendition of it, as opposed to when you're on stage, it's like all yes. this power, like, boom, like you're yeah. dropping wow. some real hard and truths. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. After like inviting us in with a spoonful of honey, because you're so like charming yeah. and like friendly. <laughs> it's amazing. You're an amazing That's what I was going for. So good. So good. It's so good. I love it. Thank you. It's also, it's... I mean, it's a subject that I think so many people deal with, but it's so hard to talk about racism yes. in the workplace because the professional environment, supposed, like the way it's framed is that it isolates you from all, you know, social dynamics, right? Like the context in which we talk about um, discrimination and like uh, yes. gender and all, you know, like politics and all this stuff. Yeah. That's removed. It's like sanitized in the workplace in the way where it becomes about like HR. Yes. It's not about real people and real people's lives and the real microaggressions that people experience. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to have a diversity committee at the law firm because I knew that there were certain situations, not just myself, that other people um, who were also minorities in the company were also filling. But it is very uncomfortable to bring up. It's very uncomfortable to talk about, right. um, especially with colleagues. I mean, in this situation alone, because management didn't do anything about it and just put my idea on the back burner, really kind of made me a lot more hesitant to speak up at yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like cynical about the fact that they actually care. Yes. Right? Like it's yes. like they want you to be happy without actually doing what they need to do yes. to make you happy. Yes. And life one, doesn't work like that. <laughs> right. And one part of the story that's that's not um, in this story is the fact that I was pulled into these like weird meetings randomly for the next three or four months about this situation without actually talking about the situation. Yeah. It was just like, well, tell me how you're feeling today. Are you feeling better? And I'm like, no, no I feel like it just, it's still happening. It's still happening. And still haven't done anything <laughs> about it. So yeah. <laughs> tell me how you're feeling. Apathetic? Right. Man, that that's makes me so mad. Me too. I mean, the common the common responses that I got was, um, "Well, you don't know what it's like being a manager," and it's like, "Well, you don't know what it's like being black." You don't. 
But also, I mean, I can imagine that if I was a manager, I wouldn't share, share personal information. Right. To justify. Right. Like these one employee's personal information to another. Right. Person employees. Yeah. And then lie about it. And there was, there was no investigation no. Or, or anything yeah. into her. So I wonder how much intersectionality there is in your experience. Like if you were a man, right? Uh, yeah. Amanda, not. Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> um, how would that have changed what happened? You know, like would, would they have perceived you as being, you, I don't know. I wonder how much your being a woman, because being a woman in the workplace is extremely difficult, right? Especially yes. at a law firm. And that is probably the most well-documented, you know, widely talked about yes. minority group or disadvantage in the workplace environment, right? Like you think, you know, discrimination in the workplace and most people immediately think, oh yeah, I've had to go to trainings about being a woman in the workplace or, right. like, you know, that, right. the whole situation. And I wonder how intersectional that is with your experience and like what might have been different yeah so I actually um wrote a small article I haven't shared it with the world but I wrote it um and it talks about that so for people who don't know W.E.B. Du Bois wrote a book it's called The Souls of Black Folks and in that he talks about the double consciousness of um black people uh, one that is true to themselves and one that has to present itself to uh, the mm. world, mm -hmm. specifically white America, um, and how that builds kind of this conflict, this internal conflict. And I wrote the article about how it's even more complicated than that when you're a woman. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I can deal with uh, racism and sexism and even colorism because I am a darker uh, mm -hmm. African-American all at the same time. And it's, it's a weird feeling being hyper visible and invisible at the same time. Yeah. It's a really weird feeling. And how do I go through the world processing that? Yeah. I don't have an answer. Right. Right. But and the level of code switching and reading which yes. of those isms is playing out and which yes. circumstances and social i mean there's like that alone is an entire day's worth of mental energy yes right? plus all of the things you have to do just being a human just being human right right and trying yes. to start a career and yes exactly i wonder what would have happened if the roles were reversed where i was the manager and amanda was just the the employee mm, yeah where the power this happened to different. her yeah yeah and i had done those things i wonder if the uh way that management handled it would have been differently and i would go as far as to <laughs> oh, say I'm that sure. it would yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure i would probably have been fired yeah or at least oh, an investigation would have been opened right right you know? right right yeah uh i mean the the part that's so biting about your story too is there's definitely a sense as you know, a spectator, someone who wasn't there, who's listening to a version of the story, mm -hmm. I get a sense of the guilt that all of these people, you know, mm -hmm. experience when they're called out on their bullshit. Yes. And um, how the the way to deal with that is avoidance, not actually like owning up. Like, yeah, people get so caught up in their guilt that they're not able to 
face that they did a shitty thing and apologize for it or make, you know, reparations for it. Yeah. And, and Jonathan, Jonathan is the, the one person that did apologize because I mean, the conversation, most of the, the beginning of the story is wrapped around him because he's the one that started the conversation about me being a reverse racist, but he admitted that he was wrong to me, to, to management and they fired him. Really? But Amanda, oh, wow. who did a wrong, a, a, a bad thing, did not apologize, denied it every step of the way, and nothing happened to her. And that is where my frustration lies because she mismanaged. Yeah. Yeah. It's inexcusable. And it was really uncomfortable. Um, the following months after that, because they didn't fire Jonathan right away. They transferred him out to a different department and he wasn't allowed to talk to us anymore. Oh my God. Um, and again, there was just these random meetings that they were pulling us into talking about policy changes with gossiping and all of this, but nothing addressing management and what management can do to, uh, foster understanding and diversity and communication. Right. Um, Real organizational change. Exactly. Yeah. And even with um, the company that I work for now, it's not, it's not like that, but I still deal with the microaggressions yeah. of, but you're um, not about to work there anymore or about to not work there. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. Cause I quit today. Hell yes put in my two weeks notice amazing but yes i still deal with the constant uh, microaggressive conversations and behaviors and i'm sure they they're not aware that they're actually doing yeah. it yeah 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 switching tracks a bit you have this line in your story um talking about dogs because like who yes. doesn't love dogs <laughs> i think that's uh apart from the you know shout out now the world knows that i'm not the biggest fan of dogs but that's by the by. I think that's such a genius line because um, it sort of pulls together this idea of like small talk being both a, a common common ground for you mm-hmm. and these people to bond over things mm-hmm. while at the same time they're othering you, right? Yeah. And you don't even realize that because you're exactly. in the small talk with them. So on, on one hand, it's, it's this unifying sort of thing. And on the other hand, it's masking the fact that they're they othering think I'm you. a reverse racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's just such a genius line because that, that whole realm of small talk is very complicated and problematic. Yeah. In this dual, in the duality of, of what it's doing. Yes. I would, I would agree with that 100%. It was, again, a very weird night because to go from just talking about dogs and, to loving dogs right and to have a conversation about what it is to love something that's not you or something that's not like you right because it's Mm -hmm. a dog yeah to then being pulled into a conversation with a group of people that you consider your friends you know and one of my lines in the beginning is that i don't take that very Lightly. lightly yeah um so it was very difficult for me because these were a group of people that I really considered my friends uh, that I felt really close to mm. to then 
being told that I am a reverse racist and that I would be more comfortable with them if they were black. Oh my God. You know, also, that's not a thing. Like 21st yeah. century, like read a book. That's not. And it's like, I tell me how I have treated you that have made you feel that way. And they couldn't give me an answer about how I treated them any differently. I treated them with kindness and respect and love. But, um, the biggest thing I guess that made them think that I was a reverse racist is because I posted on Facebook asking my friends and family if they supported a black owned business for black Friday. And that was what made me a reverse racist. Oh my God. Yes. Also because I posted about um, the Paris bombing because that was going on at the time. And I said, um, pray for Paris, but and also, also pray for Nigeria. Right. Yeah. And I guess that was a big thing that made me a reverse racist as well, because why would you need to discuss both of those countries? But they didn't realize that Nigeria had also been bombed um, like five days after Paris. So. Right. Right. Kind of very surface level things to to build perceptions of a person's character. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and very problematic to bring those up in the context of quote unquote reverse racism because right. it shows a complete lack of understanding of the context of all of these, um, you know, what you're saying, what they're interpreting, like completely ignoring years and years of history and discrimination and experience yeah. <laughs> of my own. Right. And, and I also think that it, it brings into the question of when do you draw the line between friendships and professional relationships, right? Because they were having these conversations about me being a reverse racist in the workplace. Yeah. And if you're not familiar with um, like office setups, typically it's, um, there, there are no offices. It's an open it's space, an open right? Office, and yeah. so to have these conversations where about other me being a reverse racist hear. where other people can hear you yeah. who don't know me as, as close as you do, it's very problematic because now it's it's causing other people to question my character right. and it's holding you back in your career right, right? where right supposedly the workplace is supposed to be this you know well, i mean it's clearly it's obviously not a place where everyone is treated equally and can progress right. in their career in irrespective of, right 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 and like it's these things these little things that give the impression of like you know the the gender pay gap and all like all of these issues with people not progressing at the same level in the workplace come down to these Correct. behaviors that are not isolated from the workplace right and so yeah that 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 was a really hard situation for oh, me to go so through especially my very first job in corporate america yeah. i was so excited because i was done with college and, and you got a job I got a job a right and i got a job right out of of school because most people you know it's really difficult to find up, a job yeah. in a career field that they're interested in and so i was really excited then and then to have to deal with that i mean i think i'd only been working there maybe nine months it's bullshit when all of that happened so yeah. <laughs> yeah it was it was very tough for me yeah yeah and i mean i have so much respect and admiration for you for telling the story Thank because you. i'm sure this is you know this is a universal thing like i have a completely yeah. different background from you and i relate to your story in terms of like 
you know, as a general, like I experienced similar microaggressions that I didn't yeah. realize and didn't contextualize in this way, you know, yeah. and your story serves as like a framework for other people to be like, yeah, me too. Like that yes. happens to me too. And like, this helps me, you know, other, it, it helps me make sense of that to know that other people experience similar things. Yes. The, the first night that I, that I performed in the showcase was so phenomenal because I had so many people coming up to me, um, people of color who were telling me their stories and how they deal, deal with similar situations like this. One young girl, I don't want to tell her story, but she was telling me that her boss told her that her level of education is uncomfortable to her uh, coworkers and that she should do something about that. What? That was my reaction. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, I mean, but even like do something right. Like, what do you do about that? Like, let me unlearn. Like what? So should I dumb myself down to make my coworkers comfortable? No, fuck that. Right. And why would that be my responsibility to make them comfortable with my level of intellect? Right. And, and so I heard so many stories like that. The first and second, well, both nights actually, but more so the first night. Yeah. But also once one particular conversation that I will probably never forget for the rest of my life is a woman who was a teacher um, came up to me and told me that she has students that are um, are black and of color and how my story will forever change the way that she talks to them and teaches them because she doesn't she didn't know right that she can be microaggressive and she didn't know that some of the things that she said can have um, a detrimental effect on her students of color. And so that is a story that I will never, ever, ever forget. You can find the storytellers on Twitter or Instagram under at CLT storytellers. That's it. Thanks for listening in today. Special thanks to Ben Rose for composing the sweet intro beats. 